Thank you, Angie. Good morning. How are you? Good? For those of you who don't know me, hi. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors at Central Vineyard, and I'm responsible for, for teaching and theology across all of our sites. And it really is a real pleasure to be here this morning. Wasn't worship great? Did you enjoy that this morning? Thank you, Mike and Kate, for doing that. Um, I particularly love that song, Creed. Uh, I don't know if you know the one I'm talking about where we kind of sing through the Apostles' Creed. It's a, it's a great song. I really love that one. And, and that leads me quite nicely, a little bit of a plug. Um, after we finish this series, we're going to be doing a series on the Apostles' Creed. So do watch out for that. It should be exciting. But today, we're going to be continuing our series called More Than a Name. And this is where we are looking at the name of God. And what does that mean? More than that, we're looking at what the name of God says about God and what it says about how we relate to God. And the thing is, is that it's about it being more than just a name. Throughout this series, we've been focusing on Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, that main paragraph there. And each week, over the course of this series, we've been going into detail over each part of that particular paragraph, each sentence within that paragraph, and really just drawing out what that means about God's self-declaration of his own name, and also how it applies to our own lives, and more importantly, to our relationship to God. Now, Exodus, I don't know if you know, Exodus 34, 6 to 7, is the most quoted part of the Bible by the Bible. Why? Well, it's, the reason is it's, it's where God declares who he is. He declares his name. It's one of the only the few places in the Bible where God actually says, this is what I am like. This is who I am. So if you have a Bible with you, whether that's physical or electronic, then we will make our way to Exodus 34. As you've seen already, we do have it up on the screen as well. But it's always good to bring your Bible to church. I'm going to be reading from the uh, Lexham English Bible, the LEB, uh, which is more of a literal Bible translation from the original Hebrew and Greek, and therefore it uses the name Yahweh rather than the Lord. And if you want to know more about that, then it's something that I covered in the first uh, sermon of this series, which I kicked off. And so if you want to hear that, then go to the Central Vineyard podcast. Also, the LEB's word order is more like the Hebrew. So, so that's good in one way, but in, in other ways, it does mean that the English ends up being a little clunky and doesn't read quite so smoothly. So just bear that in mind as well. Anyway, if you're ready, Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7. And Yahweh passed over before him, and he proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh God, who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding with love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love to the thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And he does not leave utterly unpunished, punishing the guilt of the fathers on the sons and on the sons of sons on third and fourth generations. I always think that paragraph starts off really well and kind of goes downhill towards the end. Um, what's that all about, eh? But we will be covering that in a couple of weeks' time. So if you think that bit is really weird, just stick with us. It is amazing when you truly understand what that's all about. So make sure you, you don't miss it. So, so far, we've covered Yahweh, Yahweh, Elohim, and compassionate and gracious. 
And this week, we're going to be looking at slow to anger. So let's dive straight in by looking at this in the original Hebrew. Slow to anger in ancient Hebrew is arek apaim. There we go. Up there, so all of you guys who like to read the Hebrew, you've got it. Arekapayim, which is the Hebrew idiom for long of nostrils. That's literally what it means. So Yahweh God has long nostrils. This is a great idiom. I mean, I love picture language and particularly love this one. I don't know if you know that with a lot of languages, it's really hard to get a direct word-for-word translation for a lot of stuff, especially when we're dealing with an ancient Semitic language like Hebrew and modern English. And so I think slow to anchor does a great job of capturing the meaning behind this ancient word picture. Imagine someone getting mad. Have you got a picture of that in your head? Now, they quickly suck in air and their nostrils flare as they rant and rage. Now imagine someone who is slow to anger. Someone who is holding back being angry or getting angry. You can imagine them closing their mouth, then taking a deep breath in through their nostrils, through their nose, a bit like this. Can you imagine that? So long of nostril, a slow to anger. So this idiom or phrase is actually used a couple of times, not just here in Exodus, but a couple of times in the book of Proverbs as well. And it helps us get a better feel for what this phrase, this idiom is really all about. The ESV, which is my everyday Bible translation, says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. But the NIV helps us fill that out a little bit more with the NIV version saying, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick tempers displays folly. We can see the antonym of slow to anger is quick tempered. Someone who blows up at the slightest thing. And the author is clear that this is not a good thing, that they display folly. Folly is not really a word that we use much nowadays, but the message translation has us covered. It says, slowness to anger makes for deep understanding. A quick-tempered person stockpiles stupidity. I love it. Stockpile stupidity. Not just stupid, they're stockpiling it. They've got it in abundance. Proverbs 16 also uses the phrase slow to anger. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. In the NIV, that's better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. So self-control is another great synonym for slow to anger. In other words, if you're slow to anger, it's not that you don't have feelings of, of frustration. It's that you don't lose it and explode when you get worked up emotionally. You have control over your feelings of frustration and anger and even rage. So, in other words, you can make Yahweh mad, but you really 
have to work hard at it, for he is slow to anger. This tells me a couple of things about God's character. The first thing is, Yahweh is slow to anger, with the emphasis on the slow. As we've read in some other translations, Yahweh is patient. He has self-control. Some of the earlier English translations from the Greek Septuagint used the phrase long-suffering. I love that, long-suffering. Mostly, I think, if you've heard me speak before, I very often refer to my wonderful wife as my long-suffering wife. More on that later. Another great translation of slow to anger is in the Aramaic Targum. Let's, let me take a step back first. Has anyone ever heard the language that Jesus spoke in was Aramaic? Has anyone ever heard of that before? Yeah? A few of you. That's good. Some of you just don't care. So move on, Paul. Yep. That's fair enough. I'll get it. Well, indulge me a moment whilst I'll explain why. Just after the Babylonian exile, the language of Aramaic effectively replaced the everyday language that the Hebrews used by the Jews in Palestine. Hebrew was still used by the highly educated and continued to be the sacred language used by the priests, but the everyday Jews spoke Aramaic. Similar, if you know anything about history, and if you know anything about me, I'm a bit of a history geek, so I love this. But similar to how in the, the late Middle Ages, the educated and the priests, they spoke Latin, but the everyday language, that was English. And so in the same way that John Wycliffe translated the Latin Bible into English so that the uneducated could understand it, so the Palestinian Jews made various translations of the Hebrew Old Testament into Aramaic, and they were called the Targums. Now, there's not one unified collection of these Targums. There are a number of different versions, like we've got very many different versions of the English Bible today, very different translations. And so we have with the Targums. Back to my point. One Aramaic Targum translates the slow to anger part in Exodus 34 as God is patient, the one who makes anger distant. For God, for Yahweh, anger is far away. It is distant. In other words, it's not close at hand, ready to zap you. Which was really, if you think about it, the opposite to what many thought of the gods of the time, the Elohim. For many of the other gods were capricious and mercurial. The other gods had tempers. They were volatile and edgy. They were ready to fly off the handle and have a good temper tantrum if you didn't do exactly what they wanted. To be honest, the other gods, the Elohim, had serious anger issues. You know, when I kicked off this series, I quoted from the Christian pastor and author, A.W. Tozer, and he wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the reason it is so important is that the way you relate to God is directly linked to what you think about God. If you believe that God is ready to zap you for the slightest transgression, 
that he will be angry with you for any mistake that you make or any sin you have, then that will reflect not only in how you relate to God, how you relate to Yahweh, but also how you relate to others. Are you unforgiving? Are you angry when someone doesn't do what you expect them to do? Then maybe you need to remember that Yahweh is slow to anger. So that's the first thing about God's character from this phrase. The second is this. Yahweh is slow to anger with the emphasis on the anger. In other words, God will eventually become angry. This is a key point, I think, because many people today have chosen to believe in a non-angry God. They think of this idea of an angry God as something more of a superstitious age. But you just have to look at Scripture to know that that isn't true. The Scriptures speak of God's wrath more than 600 times. Just look at the Psalms. Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. Also, Psalm 11.5 says, And the Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. And Psalm 5, 5-6, The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies, the bloodthirsty and deceitful. You, Yahweh, detest. Yahweh hates? Yahweh detests? Yes. Yes, he does. But I thought Yahweh God was a God of love. Yes. Yes, he is. But look at what he hates. The wicked. Those who do violence or love violence. Those who do wrong. Even those who tell lies. Ouch. But more than that, Imagine the terrorists in the public square with bombs strapped to their chest, or the con artist ripping off the elderly widow, or the corrupt politician, the abusive father, the date rapist who gets off scot-free, the paedophile who gets to be called uncle, the greedy multinational corporation responsible for yet another oil spill. Every time you hear about those things, I'm sure even you feel anger. I know I do. I'm sure you think this isn't how it's supposed to be. This isn't right. And you're absolutely correct in your thinking. It's not how it's supposed to be. This is not God's will. It is evil, plain and simple the other gods, the Elohim, and human beings are at war with Yahweh. Yes, Yahweh has a plan to work all this mess into good. But despite that, he still feels the pain of war. Remember, Yahweh is a person, not an idea. He has feelings, and he feels anger at the evil in the world. John Mark Comer, in his book, God Has a Name, which this series is based upon, wrote this. 
there are times when the healthy, emotionally mature response to evil is anger. But Yahweh's anger comes from a very different place than our anger. Our anger is often irrational or comes from a place of wounded ego. Someone has hurt us or made us look foolish or doesn't want to do what we want them to do. Our anger is often inherently selfish. God's anger, though, is birthed in righteousness, justice, and love. The leading Anglican evangelical and theologian John Stott wrote, He's, God's, anger is neither mysterious nor irrational. It is never, never unpredictable, but always predictable, because it is provoked by evil and evil alone. The wrath of God is his steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. In short, God's anger is poles apart from ours. What provokes our anger, injured vanity, never provokes his. What provokes his anger, evil, seldom provokes ours. So Yahweh does get angry. And you really don't want to be on the receiving end of that anger, that wrath. But Yahweh is also slow to anger. As John Mark Comer put it, you can make God mad, but you really have to work at it. But there will come a point when the wrath of God will be unleashed. When God will wait no more to see justice done. Let's look at one example in the Bible where we see God's patience, his long-suffering, as well as his wrath. Let's look at the city of Nineveh. Now, last week, when Tammy spoke, we saw Nineveh in the time of Jonah. Who was here and heard that talk? Yeah, a few of you. If you missed it, do go back on the podcast and listen. So Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria was an evil an oppressive empire that stretched across the Middle East. Last week, when we covered Compassionate and Gracious, we heard how Yahweh sent Jonah to the Assyrians to tell them that their time was up, that God's wrath was going to be unleashed upon them. They were going to be destroyed. And then the Assyrians did something unexpected. They repented. They nahamed. And Yahweh responds to their repentance and changes his mind. He spares the city. So I guess kind of a happy ending. The Ninevites are alive. Jonah is sulking. But generally, all good. Now fast forward 150 years to the book of the prophet Nahum. The city of Nineveh, a few generations later, had really gone back to its old behavior back to its evil. So much so that they'd just taken 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel into slavery and left northern Israel in ruins. Yahweh has finally had enough with them. We pick up in Nahum chapter 1 verse 2. The prophet Nahum has been sent by Yahweh to tell Nineveh, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. 
The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemy. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. In case you missed it, verse 3 is a quote of Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7. And interestingly, for me anyway, is that Exodus 34 is quoted twice in relation to the city of Nineveh. First in Jonah, after Yahweh spared the city, and again here in Nahum, when Yahweh has finally had enough. What does that say? John Markoma writes, Yahweh is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. That's his nature. That's how he's wired. But there comes a time when God says, enough is enough. No more violence. No more injustice. No more killing and raping and stealing and enslaving. I've had it with evil. You're done. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. 150 years slow to anger in the case of Nineveh. But there comes a point when enough is enough. So Nineveh is totally and utterly destroyed. They are completely wiped out. But if you know the story, you will know that Nineveh was not destroyed by a bolt of lightning or fire from heaven or Yahweh just zapping the city with an act of God. No. Nineveh was utterly destroyed by another up-and-coming world power. They were destroyed by Babylon. Yahweh said that his wrath would be unleashed on Nineveh. That Nineveh, Nineveh would be utterly destroyed. And it was. But it was via a pagan army of another nation. Okay, very quickly, at the risk of all of you falling asleep, I see a few of you starting to go, let me describe how Yahweh's wrath appears to work based upon the scriptures. Are you ready? Okay, good. Yahweh's wrath can be plotted against four axes. Present, future, active, and passive. Yahweh's present wrath is when he deals with evil in the here and now, on this side of judgment. He steps in now and stops evil dead. It's when individuals or even entire nations come under his discipline and punishment. This does happen, but it is rare. It really doesn't happen often. Remember, Yahweh is slow to anger. Then there's Yahweh's future wrath, is when he deals with evil later. It's what the Hebrew writers often refer to as the day of the Lord or the day of Yahweh. It's a future event, a day on the horizon when all evil and wrongs of human history will be undone. Depending on where you stand with God, then this future day of Yahweh is either a great thing or a terrible thing. John Mark Homer again said, if you're the righteous, the man or woman in right relationships with God, humanity, and the earth itself, then you can't wait for judgment. Especially if you're the oppressed. Finally, all the world will be set right. But if you're the wicked, the oppressor, if you refuse Yahweh and his mercy, if you say no to his way of life, then this day should stand 
as a terrifying warning because God isn't mean, but he is dangerous. God's future wrath is coming. So that is present and future. Next, active and passive. Active wrath is when God acts directly to put a stop to evil. It's like the invisible hand of God comes down and delivers judgment personally. This is very rare, but it does happen. We see this in the Old Testament with the story of Uzzah. The Israelites are moving, if you don't know the story, the Israelites are moving to Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant, the visible sign of Yahweh's power and presence with his people. This is the most holy object in Israel's world. And so you would think some reverence, some seriousness in the task is required. So much so that Yahweh has told them to carry the ark on poles so as not to accidentally touch it. But it was hard work. Their arms were aching and they had a long way to go. And so they thought, why not simply put it on this Philistine's cart that I have? It'd be easier and quicker, right? And so they do. So far, so good. Then the cart hits a pothole. And to stop the ark from falling off the cart, a priest named Uzzah puts out his hands to steady the ark. And then we read in 2 Samuel 6-7, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. That is active wrath. You sin outrageously and then you are no longer breathing. And you might think that only happens in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, chapter 5, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who were some of the first followers of Jesus. Ananias sells some property and then lies to Peter and God by saying that he has given all the proceeds to the poor. He hadn't. That itself wasn't the sin. But lying about it and pretending he had, that was the next thing we know, Ananias falls down dead on the spot. Then his wife, Sapphira, comes in, tells the same lie. Boom, Sapphira drops down dead as well. That is God's active wrath. But here's the thing, that is rare. God's active wrath is the exception, not the rule. Most of the time, God's wrath is passive. Passive wrath is when God does not act, and that is the judgment. And this is how Yahweh usually deals with evil. In the scriptures, God's judgment often looks like an invading army, like when Babylon came and destroyed Nineveh, or later, a few decades later, to destroy Jerusalem. But notice this. Babylon was the emerging power, world power of the day. They would have gone to war against Nineveh and Israel without a nudge from Yahweh. All God had to do was step back and remove his protection. God's passive wrath is when he doesn't act to keep us from evil. To be honest, it's usually when he steps back and allows us to mess up 
our own lives and leaves us to face the consequences. In the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, he is talking about God's wrath over how first century Rome has spiraled down into moral sin and social destruction. And Paul keeps repeating the phrase, God gave them over to, dot, dot, dot. God gave them over to their shameful lusts. God gave them over to a depraved mind. God is saying, okay, have it your way. And he takes away his hand of protection, covering and blessing from their lives. He steps back and says, you're on your own. Today, what does that look like? Well, it looks like that person who gets fired for stealing or cheating. That person whose marriage is wrecked by an affair. Or when their kids grow up hating them because they were never there for them because they were chasing power and promotion and money. If your heart is out of sync with Yahweh's, that is, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then the worst thing that Yahweh, that God can do to you is allow you to have exactly what you want. To have what you desire. Sin is its own punishment. We'll look at that concept in a little bit more detail in a couple of weeks. But that is God's passive wrath. So God's wrath is present, future, active, and passive. But most of the times, it's present and passive, or future and active. One day, Yahweh will act decisively and put an end to evil forever. And we all look forward to that day. But in the meantime, the way God deals with most sin is to step back and allow sin to be its own punishment. All that to say, God does eventually get angry. Don't think that he doesn't or cannot. I don't have time now, but many think that this is just a characteristic of the God of the Old Testament, that Jesus, as Yahweh incarnate, would never get angry, would he? Jesus was just so chilled and laid back. He's the tolerant one. And if you believe that, then I am afraid that you're reading a different Bible to me or not reading your Bible at all. Many followers of Jesus, influenced by today's culture, say, Jesus is a man of peace. Jesus is loving. Yes, absolutely, he is. But he also got angry. He got angry against sin and injustice. Look at the story of Jesus clearing out the temple, turning over the tables of the money changers. as just one example. Jesus was responding to the blatant injustice on display after many years of warning. Jesus's, or Yahweh's anger, always comes from a place of love. I think the truth is, if you don't get angry occasionally, then you don't love. When you see somebody you love in pain, it should move you emotionally. And it should move you to action, to do something about it. Let's bring this all together and talk about how we apply this to our lives. God is slow to anger. And some of you today need to hear that first part. God is slow to anger, with the emphasis on slow. 
you need to hear that Yahweh is not an angry God, always mad at you, just waiting for you to trip up and make a mistake so that he can blast you. That's not the God I know, and certainly not the God we see in the Bible. God is patient. He knows your future. He knows what you are becoming, and like a patient, loving father, he's calling you and coaxing you along your journey, one step at a time, towards your destiny. Some of you needed to hear that today. Others of you are struggling with imitating Jesus, the embodiment of Yahweh in this regard, in being slow to anger. I know this is something that I personally struggle with. Esther laughed, bless her, when she heard I was speaking on this subject. So know that I am preaching to myself just as much, if not more, than you this morning. I've struggled with anger in the past, with generational anger within my family, but year after year, day by day, because of my discipleship to Jesus, I'm getting better. And it does help that Esther really does personify this trait, slow to anger. She really is long-suffering. If you know her, you'll know what I'm talking about. And I know, I'm sure that being married to me gives her plenty of opportunity to test that trait. She is slow to anger, except if I buy something online and don't use a cashback website then watch out. I'm just saying, watch out. But seriously, maybe you need to cultivate this attitude of being slow to anger. Taking a deep breath before you respond. Maybe you are on the other end of the spectrum. And today, you needed to hear that Yahweh does get angry. That Yahweh hates sin. Maybe you have behaved like God will never get angry with you, that all things are permissible, and you have willfully acted as you like. Let me just say, that is a dangerous game. Has God seemed far off lately? Has your relationship with Yahweh gone cold? Then maybe today you need to repent. You need to seek God's forgiveness. Let me finish on this from the letter of James. James 1, 19 to 22. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. With that said, and if you're able to, then please stand.